This is VOA News. I'm Marissa Melton. The Canadian government on Thursday unveiled a 1.2 U.S. dollar billion plan, 1.2 billion U.S. dollar plan to help the country deal with the looming, looming dangers of a warming world, such as floods, wildfires, and extreme heat. Officials said the so-called climate adaptation strategy will fund programs to help Canadians shield themselves from heat waves, protect coastlines from rising seas, and safeguard infrastructure. The plan includes provisions for the far north, which is facing the thaw of permafrost. The plan was unveiled as Prince Edward Island on the Canada's eastern coast recovers from Hurricane Fiona in September. The storm was said to be the costliest ever to hit Canada's Atlantic coast. U.S. President Joe Biden says he'll try to push Congress to enact more gun control measures after a spate of mass shootings in the country in recent weeks. AP correspondent Jackie Quinn has more. Six people killed in a southeast Virginia Walmart, five dead in Colorado Springs in just a week. And President Biden says more must be done to prevent these killings from taking place. The idea we still allow semi-automatic weapons to be purchased is sick. He tells reporters he'll take it to Congress, even though the session's almost over. Meanwhile, the president reached out to the owners of Club Q in Colorado Springs, offering support and condolences. While a worker at the Virginia Walmart, whose life was spared, says she doesn't think the victims were randomly chosen. He was going hunting. He was looking, he was picking people out. Jesse Wilczewski, on the job just five days, says the gunman aimed at her and then told her to run. I'm Jackie Quinn. You can keep up on that story at our website, voanews.com. This is VOA News. Recent uptake of COVID-19 vaccine booster doses in the European Union has been rather disappointing, according to an official on Thursday, amid concerns that protection against severe cases of the disease could weaken during the winter. The European average rate of revaccination or receiving booster doses was only 29 percent, and the groups of people considered to be at highest risk, such as the elderly and the immunocompromised. European Union energy ministers have met at an emergency meeting on gas prices. AP correspondent Karen Chamas reports. As winter approaches, EU nations have not been able to agree on the question of gas prices, which are expected to skyrocket. The soaring prices are a result of Russia's war in Ukraine, with Moscow slashing gas supplies to all the European nations critical of Russia's actions. The meeting was focused on trying to break a deadlock between countries like Greece, Spain and France who want a cap on prices to ease household bills, and those like Germany and Netherlands that are insisting a price cap could cut supplies. Estonia's Minister of Economic Affairs, Rina Sikut, believes a price cap is necessary, but it is a tricky balance. The security of supply is paramount. If the price is too high, we can compensate, we need to compensate, but we cannot threaten the security of supply. I'm Karen Chamas. Russian lawmakers on Thursday gave their final approval to a bill that significantly expands restrictions on activities seen as promoting gay rights in the country, another step in a years-long crackdown on the country's embattled LGBTQ community. 
And in the United States, some Ford SUVs are being recalled. AP correspondent Rita Foley has more. Ford is recalling thousands of SUVs because a cracked fuel injector can spill fuel or leak vapors onto a hot engine and cause fires. The recall covers Bronco Sport and Escape SUVs from model years 2020 through 2023. Ford says it's not recommending that the owners stop driving the vehicles or park them outdoors because fires are rare, says Ford, and generally don't happen when the engines are off. But Ford does say that it's gotten 20 reports of fires, including three that ignited nearby structures. I'm Rita Foley. Avian flu has wiped out more than 50 million birds in the United States this year, making it the country's deadliest outbreak in history. This according to data from the U.S. Department of Agriculture. The deaths of chickens, turkeys and other birds represent the worst U.S. animal health disaster to date. That tops the previous record of just over 50 million birds that died in an outbreak in 2015. I'm Marissa Melton, VOA News. Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I am James Barty in Washington. Today is Friday, November 25th, and here are some of the stories we are covering. Botswana's opposition Congress party calls for electoral reforms. We are totally against the idea of EDL because as we indicated in our press release, it's something that really makes reading very easy for the current ruling BDP. Namibia removes the statue of the German colonial founder of the capital, Vinhoek. A look at food emperors, China's appetite for South African abalone, the UN heightens efforts to end harmful traditional practices in Liberia, drought forces Tanzania to ration electricity. We need to invest in climate action, including environmental conservation mechanisms, climate-friendly agriculture, but also investing in renewable energy. And we'll get reaction from Accra to Ghana's loss to Portugal at the World Cup yesterday. Those stories plus Samson O'Malley sports are coming up on Daybreak Africa. Opposition Botswana Congress Party, or BCP, is calling for electoral reforms to prevent what it says is the manipulation of polls in a southern African country. It says plans by the elections management body to force through the use of electronic voting machines without proper safeguards and wide consultation could undermine the integrity and credibility of the next general election. But supporters of the ruling parties in Botswana has an enviable history of organizing credible polls. For more on the calls for electoral reforms, viewers Peter Clotty reached Umpo Pico, Publicity and Information Secretary of the Opposition BCP. Prior to the 2019 elections, the Botswana Congress Party did take the BDP government and IEC to court, primarily raising concerns that electronic voting machines are not necessary in our context, given a number of factors, uh, one of them being the population. When you look at the size of the population in 2019, our voting population was around 1.4 million and only around uh, 700,000 people registered to vote. So as the Botswana Congress Party, we believe that there are more efficient and cost-effective ways of reforming the current electoral 
system which, as the DCP, we do believe that serious reforms are needed, but we are totally against the idea of EVM because, as we indicated in our press release, it's something that really makes rigging very easy uh, for the current ruling BDP. A lot of countries are moving towards electronic voting. So why is your party, the Botswana Congress Party, so against the use of electronic voting or technology? One of the critical issues that we have as a political party is the questionable independence of the current uh, election management body, the IEC. We know that uh, the IEC, there's no independence, and we do know that uh, this EVM or the electronic voting machine is not necessarily even the idea of the IEC, it's the idea of the current ruling party. So we are concerned about rigging, looking at the broader electoral system in Botswana, which really, to a large extent, you may know that the person who releases the election date is the president of the nation. And uh, as far as the parliamentary uh, elections are concerned, and for local authorities, is the, the, the minister in the office of the president. So all those are the concerns that we have. Why do you think the government is trying to manipulate the elections? Because the ruling party has a majority in parliament. Not only that, it won a sizable majority. The president won a sizable majority. So re-election is almost a foregone conclusion. That is what political analysts say. So coming up of this, some of these critics are saying it's just a publicity stunt just to attract attention or relevance to your party and that there's nothing untoward. If you have anything to do, go and campaign well and be competitive in the next general election instead of coming up with what they say is frivolous accusations with no empirical proof. Uh, I think those uh, statistics that you, you, you are saying, uh, to, to some extent, yes, the ruling party has won elections since independence. But what we want international community and Mazona to understand is that while BDP, the ruling BDP, for example, has won elections, we've also, as the Botswana Congress Party, questioned the type of system that is currently in use in Botswana. It's unfairly advantageous at the BDP. Paul Pico is the Publicity and Information Secretary of the Opposition Botswana Congress Party. She was speaking with viewers Peter Clotty. Tanzania has announced electricity rationing after a drop in hydropower caused by drought. The Tanzania Electricity Supply Company, or Tanesco, says some areas of the country are set to spend nearly half the day without power. As Charles Kombe reports from Dar es Salaam, the commercial capital has been rationing water for weeks. Dar es Salaam resident Ramadan Ibrahim makes a living through his air compressor station by filling cars and motorcycle tires. But now, his business is down due to power challenges. He says, this air compressor helps us earn little money to sustain our lives. The thing is, it uses electricity, and the power is off, and we don't know when exactly the power will get back. So, Ibrahim asks, when there's no electricity, I stop working. Authorities say, power supplies to the national grid have dropped because of the prolonged drought and ongoing maintenance at some electricity plants. Some areas are facing up to nine hours a day without electricity. The power utility company says the electricity deficit in the country per day 
is between 300 and 350 megawatts. Maharaga Chande is the manager of Tanzania's electric company, Tanesco. He says, among the short-term efforts we are implementing right now is to direct our abilities to gas plants and also fastening the ongoing preventive maintenance of our plants to reduce the current shortage of electricity. Chande added that the first plant that we emphasize is the Wungo 3 extension, where we have two machines with the capacity of generating 80 megawatts that are under maintenance. Tanzania is working to increase its hydropower capacity, including through the ongoing construction of the Julius Nyerere Dam project in the Selous Game Reserve, which is expected to generate 2,115 megawatts of electricity. Martin Mombene is the power company's acting director for customer experience and care. He says this hydropower project is among the huge strategies that will come to tackle the electricity challenges to a large extent. Now we have reached 77% upon completion, but this project goes hand in hand with other projects, including solar generation. And as time goes on, Mwambene adds, we are going to accomplish them and make the electricity situation stabilize. Climate activists such as Venus Majula say more needs to be done to tackle the effects of climate change in the country. We need to invest in a climate action, including environmental conservation mechanisms, climate-friendly agriculture, but also investing in, in renewable energy. Without appropriate initiatives, climate change will further challenge water and energy management, also causing extreme uh, weather events uh, such as floods and droughts as we have seen uh, in different parts of the continent. Drought has hit East Africa with Tanzania's northern neighbors, Kenya, Somalia and Ethiopia experiencing the worst drought attributed to four failed rain seasons. The Dar es Salaam and Ipwani regions accounted for 50% of Tanzania's electricity consumption. With many industries in those regions, the shortage could also affect productivity. Charles Kombe, for VU News, Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. Namibian authorities have removed a controversial statue of a German colonial officer that was erected to mark the anniversary of the founding of the city of Vinhoek, now the capital. Critics' petition for the removal of the monument to a man who led German troops in a massacre of native people, and they dispute the idea that the city was founded by Germans. Vitalio Angula reports from Vinhoek. Scores of Namibians celebrated as the statue of German colonial officer Kurt von Francois was removed Wednesday from a pedestal in front of Windhoek's city buildings, where it stood for more than half a century. The monument was erected in 1965 to honor the 75th anniversary of the city's founding, which was credited to von Francois. Von Francois was governor of the area, then known as German Southwest Africa, from 1891 to 1894. But historians and activists dispute the idea that Germans who colonized Namibia from 1884 to 1915 founded the city. Former Vintuk mayor Job Amupanda told VOA it's well known that native people were living in the area decades before the Germans arrived. We are first of all, people think it's a, a, a process to decolonize our space. But before we even go there, we're simply saying the statue is a representation of a lie, historically. Yeah? 
and because it represents a lie so there is no argument about keeping protecting and sustaining a lie hell garden titus is the a kurt farewell movement that in 2022 petitioned for the statue's removal she says its presence whitewashed atrocities by german colonial forces and south africa's apartheid government against native namibians south africa's white minority government which controlled namibia until it won independence in 1990 forcibly removed black residents from an area of the city called the old location in 1959 titus says removing the statue corrects a historical wrong i think it is important to say that um The statue being put up is a distortion of history because like I just mentioned he wasn't the founder of Vintuk but also when the statue was put up it was 5 years after the forced removals of the old location so it was very much a symbol of whitening the city Critics say the statue of Francois who ordered attacks to subdue natives that so scores massacred should have been removed long ago For Francois married an ethnic Damara woman who gave birth to their daughter and still has descendants in Namibia One of them, Sharon Ngobe, told VOA she agreed it was in the interest of the country for the statue to be removed, though she felt the descendants should have been involved in the decision. Ngobe said the family never talked about from Francois's role in the atrocities and killings of native Herero and Nama people. What we got from the information is that the good things that he did and yeah. what he did and what he made happen. And now yeah. I got another version of you can't put something up that kill people and then the victims that family has to see him still standing there every single day and it's understandable so there's always two sides of a story historians say german settlers in namibia committed genocide by killing tens of thousands of native people germany agreed last year to fund 1.3 billion us dollars in development projects in namibia over 30 years in redress for the killings and land that was taken but some natives argue they were not sufficiently involved in the negotiations and in october namibia asked germany to renegotiate the terms of the deal which berlin has refused to do the statue of von franchau was moved to namibia's independence museum where it is expected to be put on display vitalio angola for voa news ventuk namibia You are listening to Daybreak Africa on the Voice of America. I am James Butty in Washington. Today is Friday, November 25th. Still to come on our program, Samson O'Malley Sports. A high-ranking UN official is on a trip to Liberia to advocate for the end of female genital mutilation and child marriage. Jahadukure, the United Nations Women Goodwill Ambassador for Africa on female genital mutilation, is visiting Liberia to press for an end to female circumcision. A visit coincides with the start of the 16 days of activism campaign against gender-based violence beginning today Friday and concluding December 10, United Nations Day. From Monrovia, reporter Rita Jalabwe-Duo has the story. The World Health Organization says More than 200 million girls and women alive today have undergone female genital mutilation or FGM and a majority are caught before turning 15 years old. The practice is recognized internationally as a violation of human rights of girls and women and an extreme form of gender discrimination. 11 out of 15 counties in Liberia practice female circumcision. 
women in those areas have little or no choice as a result of their forceful initiation into bush schools where the procedure is common. Currently, there is a three-year ban suspending the practice until 2025, but despite the moratorium, it is still being practiced. Jaha Dukure is the Goodwill Ambassador for Africa for the agency UN Women on FGM and Child Marriage. She is also a survivor of both. She says, if more survivors would join the campaign against FGM, there will be speedy results. When you look at FGM, you remember the Millennium Development Goal. For decades, people were talking about ending FGM and we didn't achieve anything. But when survivors speak, you can't deny their story. You can't deny their pain because I'm not coming from it from a place of an outsider. I'm coming from it with my own experience, trying to get an understanding and trying to come up with solutions. So I think survivor voices are essential to this campaign if we want to see any success. Jaha also recommends initiation without mutilation which she describes as teaching traditional norms without harming girls and women. Africa has beautiful cultures and traditions, and it would be nearly impossible for us to come into communities and tell people that they should abandon their traditional beliefs. There's a huge possibility that you will never be able to accomplish that. But one way you can work with some of these traditional practitioners is by actually allowing them to keep the positive aspects of those traditions that they want to keep without cutting girls. The vice president of Liberia, Joel Howard Taylor, was asked what the government could do to ensure that all traditions are respected, except for those that harm women and girls. She said the answer is legislation. It has to be into law. The ban has taken place by the traditional councils and attempt to say, yes, we acknowledge that there is a problem. We want to find a way to solve it. We think it's negative for our daughters. But then over the three years, hopefully much more will be done to provide cultural centers without female genital mutilation where our daughters can go and learn our culture and learn what it is to be an African woman. We hope the political will from the national legislature will allow us to pass this law. Masa Kanaka, the head of over 300 traditional practitioners in Lower Montserrat County, says she can convince her women to abolish the procedure with support from the government or the United Nations. Them are women that be taking pay. Massa is one of several people who have agreed to stop female genital mutilation, but only in exchange for financial assistance. This is Rita Drabwedu for VOA News in Morovia, Liberia. At the Qatar FIFA World Cup, all five African nations have played their first first-round matches. Today, Friday, Senegal will play its second game against host Qatar. Yesterday, Thursday, Cameroon lost 1-0 to Switzerland and Ghana lost to Portugal 3-2. Viewers Jackson von Gagne is in the Ghanaian capital, Accra. He says Ghanaians were disappointed by the loss. You know, James, lots of disappointment in Accra, Ghana, as the Black Stars lose their opening match to Portugal. You know, coming into this match, many Ghanaians were confident that their boys would clinch their first win for Africa. Uh, and, you know, as all the African teams have fallen in their opening matches. But Ghanaians were encouraged by the mainly young squad that stood up to their more experienced rivals, the Portuguese. 
Uh, they said that if it wasn't for the penalty, which was, you know, questionable at best, that they would have come up at least with a draw. And, you know, nonetheless, the Black Stars have scored the most for any African side so far, two goals, and they will take that momentum in their next match when they play against South Korea. I saw a very young team, and uh, I think I was very impressed with their performance. Absolutely. You know, Ghana's President Akufo Addo joined the squad yesterday to give them inspiration and messages of love from their countrymen. You know, this country is a soccer nation, and I wish you were here in Accra to see the traffic around 3 p.m. when everybody was getting ready, driving home or to the bars or to the clubs to go and watch the game. And during the game, the town was really quiet, at least the roads. But Ghana's fans put the blame squarely on the coach, Otto, you know, Otto Ado, who subbed Captain Andre Ayu after he had scored the team's first goal in the 73rd minute, I believe. Uh, coach Ado also replaced another critical player, Kudus Mohamed. And many fans that I spoke to say that that was a strategic mistake and that uh, the Portuguese were able to exploit that vacuum. That was viewers Jackson Mvunganyi in the Ghanaian capital, Accra. It is time now for Daybreak Africa Sports, and here is something O'Malley in Abuja, Nigeria. A very good Friday morning to you, something. Good Friday morning to you too, James, and welcome to our wrap of the latest news from the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022. The first round of opening group games were concluded on Thursday at the 2022 World Cup in Qatar, with Ghana and Cameroon losing their opening fixtures. Cameroon were picked 1-0 by Switzerland, thanks to a second-half goal from Beryl Mbolo, who scored against his country of birth. It was a moment of deep respect as Mbolo, born in Cameroon, gave a muted response to putting Switzerland ahead. Cameroonian journalist Ellie Smith, who is based in Douala, told Daybreak Africa Sports that many Cameroonians were disappointed with the results. As a Cameroonian, I am disappointed that uh, we could not win or even have recorded draw against the Swiss. But honesty requires that I say it abundantly clear that I wasn't sure Cameroon will win. Um, Today on the field of play, they showed uh, something promising, but the problem with with the team of Cameroon is that they are inconsistent. Staying with Thursday's marches, the Black Stars of Ghana put up a solid fight against the Cristiano Ronaldo-led Portugal, but lost 3-2 in what concluded a bad day for African sides at the World Cup. The West African side, playing defensively through the first 45 minutes, managed to stop the relentless Portuguese attack, but fell short in the second half, conceding their first goal from a penalty converted by Cristiano Ronaldo. Ghana's president, Nana Kofuado praised the Black Stars for an impressive performance against Portugal despite losing their opening match at the 2022 World Cup. In his post-match game, coach Atuado was furious with the controversial penalty awarded to the Portuguese side which resulted to their loss. The game plan was okay but then the referee gave a penalty which was not a penalty. Everybody saw them. Salis was playing the ball. I don't know because why, because it's Ronaldo or something, the bar, I don't know what they're doing, sleeping. It's a mess. 
we are playing the ball, it's a foul on us. Surely, this is one of the best teams in the world, then it get, things get difficult, but we came back strong, we had our chances even in the last minute, uh, uh, with uh, Inaki playing clever, and um, yeah, this is the way it is. Africa is still in search of the continent's first win at the 2022 FIFA World Cup in Qatar after Morocco on Wednesday started their World Cup campaign with a goalless draw against Croatia, runners-up four years ago at the Al-Bayat Stadium. Morocco, who are ranked 22nd, were impressive but failed to create clear-cut opportunities. Another North African side at the World Cup, Tunisia, drew 0-0 with Denmark on Tuesday in Group D. In Friday's game, Africa will be banking on Senegal to improve on the not-too-impressive results by the five African sides when they face host nation Qatar. And that's it on Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, James, in Washington. Thank you, Samson. Have a nice weekend. And that's it for this Friday, November 25th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending your week with us. For more Africa news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are also on YouTube, where you can watch our TV shows, Africa 54, Straight Talk Africa, and Red Carpet. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa crew, I am James Barton, Washington, wishing that you will have a great weekend. We'll see you again on Monday morning. VOA brings you the best in African music on the African beat. African beat showcases the latest and the greatest of contemporary African music, from bobo music to hip life, bonga flavor to sukus, Afrobeat to Dumbolo and Makosa to Kwaito. The African beat on VOA has it all. And it's happening right here, Mondays through Fridays at 09.05 and 20.05 UTC, right after the international news. Hey, sports fans, brighten your day by tuning into the sunny side of sports, Monday through Friday at 16.30 and 18.30 UTC. Join us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash VOA Sunny and on Twitter at VOA Sunny Sports. Or check out the blog at blogs.voanews.com forward slash sunny. It's the sunny side of sports right here on The Voice of America. (laughs) 